But as I look around this morning, I want to know where the grit is. That's what I want to know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the people that are normally here that are gone, like by the several hundreds of them, make sure next week you tell them they have no grit. All right? No grit. All right. Yeah. That's my message, and I support that message. All right? Yeah. That's not in the Bible, by the way. So just want you to know that this morning. <laughs> I've learned one thing from living in Texas this, these several years, that if the weather gets cool, um, and there's even a miscalculation in the forecast, as there normally is, you can pretty much be sure that things are going to shut down. But anyway, um, but anyway, I've been here for how many years now? About six, seven years now, and I've never seen bad weather yet, so... Uh, but anyway, that's all right. Moving right along. I've been needling long enough. No, I'm sure thankful that each of you chose to be here this morning. And um, we do have a great time uh, just being brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the things I do really enjoy about Cowboy Church is how much fun we have together um, in Christ. And uh, I thank God for that this morning. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I pray you brought those with you. I hope you did anyway. Um, I don't think I'd go very, very far on a trip without at least a GPS. Um, I went elk hunting here, oh, I don't know, about three or four weeks ago, and uh, to a new area I'd never been to. Went by myself and, and hiked in. And when things get dark, no longer do you know where you're at. So uh, I really do love GPSs. Uh, it's pretty amazing. You can actually find your way back to camp when your mind is on bears and mountain lions and things like that in the dark. So uh, just glad for that. So our roadmap that we have this morning, nonetheless, is the Word of God, and I'm thankful that we have that. So pray that you brought it with you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 today as we continue looking at some of the elements of Christmas as we come to this time of year and this season. Um, I told you last week that we would be talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and that's what we're going to look at today, the importance of the incarnation. And that's just a big word about how God came and took upon flesh and dwelt among men. And uh, this was promised, we know, through the Old Testament. This was prophesied that this would take place and uh, that this would, would happen. And we're going to look at some of the significant reasons for the incarnation of Christ. For if there is no incarnation, then there is no Christ, and there is no Messiah, there's no salvation, uh, there's no Christmas, there's, there's really nothing, and we're all here just wasting our time. But praise God for the incarnation. Uh, that it is true, that it's an event that took place and happened, and we're here as a testimony of that today. Um, I'm going to begin with prayer. If you all would, just bow your heads and let's thank the Lord for this day. God, I do want to thank you so much for this awesome day that you've given us, this gift of life. I thank you, Lord, for uh, this time of year as we see so many people beginning to uh, take time to focus on, on you, God. Many people I know uh, have made this out to be just nothing more than just presence and tinsel and, and uh, peppermint shakes and things of the sort, God, but we know, God, that this is about you. Uh, it's a time of year that we set aside and we focus and think about this a tremendous gift that you provided for us in your son, Christ. We, uh, we thank you, Lord, for the truth that uh, we have found, Lord, in this gift of Christmas, Lord, this son, this, this, this amazing gift that has provided redemption, atonement, justification, and all these other avenues, Lord, for us that have made us to be adopted into the family of God, that have given us eternal life and forgiveness of sins, and, Lord, that has um, provided a way, Lord, that we could be made right before you. 
And Lord, this was all your plan, all your design. And thank you, God, that you provided for that in each of us who will believe and put our faith and trust in you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today because I, I, I want to uh, hear what God's word has to say about this, not uh, what man thinks about this. We know that there's a lot of tradition um, within the church, and, and uh, tradition's not always a bad thing, but if it takes its place over scripture, it is wrong. And unfortunately, there are those who have taken tradition and placed it over the top of the Word of God. And tradition becomes more important than actually what truth is. And so today, that's what we're going to look at, is we're going to go to the Word of God and we're going to see what it has to say about this tremendous uh, miracle in the incarnation of Christ, that is God becoming flesh, taking upon flesh and dwelling among men. In Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, just follow along with me this morning. It just starts out simply, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to make Mary, take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill... What the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to the son to a son and he gave him the name Jesus as we come to Matthew's account here of the birth of Christ if you study the book of Matthew and you study the book of Luke you'll find that we have in those two accounts uh, the birth of Christ and how all of this came about and um, you're going to find that as as you make your way through the genealogies there's some very interesting things you don't want to miss those but we're learning that we have Joseph here. We have the genealogy of Joseph, and then we have the genealogy of Mary. And we know that both of them come from the line of David. Now, we understand that Joseph was not the, the father, if you will, the, the birthright father of, of Jesus, that, that Jesus was not conceived of, of, of anything to do with Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless, the authority uh, of, of the man passed through the son here, Jesus Christ, his father, his earthly father that took care of him was Joseph, and he came from the line of David. Now, Mary, we know, also came from the line of David as well. And Jesus, we know the Messiah, had to come from the line of David. And so they both do a very good job at showing that they did, that Jesus Christ came from the line of David. 
And what we have here is very simply just a, a mentioning of how this began to happen and how it took place. If you read Matthew's account, you're going to find more about how the angel appeared to Mary and all of these things happened. And Mary didn't understand how this could take place because she had not yet known a man, that she was still yet a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive. Now, this is a miraculous, supernatural uh, conception is what this is. Now, we know that God can do absolutely anything. Amen. I mean, if he can make and just speak and the cosmos comes to existence out of nothingness, we know that God has no trouble doing what he did here in bringing about the conception of who would become the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And this is how it took place and this is how it happened. If Matthew's account here, we find something very interesting. He makes some things known that are very, very important Number one thing he's going to say is, now, she's going to have a son. This is predicted she's going to have a son. Now, you have had, uh, probably if you have kids, and especially in this day and age, you can find out what your child is going to be. You can actually go, and, and, and the doctor can say, well, look, here's a picture of your baby. This is what it is. It's going to be a boy. It's going to be a girl. They didn't have that back then, but the angel of the Lord said, listen, she's going to have a son, predicting, of course, that Christ the Messiah was going to come And he did. And he was conceived in her from the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible thing. We don't understand it all, but we know what happened. She gives birth to a son. They're to name him Jesus. That's the name they're to give him. And then he mentions the reason is because this this man is going to save his people from their sins. Now, I know some pretty good men, but I don't know any who are the Savior and those who are the redeemer of the sinful. That's impossible, right? But this man, this child, this, this baby who was going to be born was going to save his people from their sin. That's what he was going to do. And then as we make our way to the 22nd verse, it says that there is a fulfillment of prophecy here. Now, there's lots of Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. There's, there's hundreds of them. And Jesus had to fulfill every single prophecy about him. If he did not fulfill the prophecies written in the Old Testament, he could not be the Messiah. He could not be the Son of God. It couldn't happen. And so all the way back in Isaiah chapter 7, uh, Matthew now quotes this passage of Scripture. And he's saying here that this is to fulfill now what the prophet had spoken. And so he has no doubt. He knows Isaiah. He has read Isaiah. He studied Isaiah. He knows Isaiah. And Isaiah the prophet, if you read it, um, you go back into the seventh chapter in verse 14, it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so what what, uh, Matthew's doing is he's saying that what we're having going on here in the birth of this Christ child is the fulfillment now of a passage in the Old Testament where the prophet Isaiah talking to the king now, one of the kings of Judah, and he's telling him now something's going to happen. For the king of Judah was worried because there was the king of Israel and another king coming together and they were going to fight against King Ahaz. They were going to fight against him and he was worried that his kingdom was going to be overrun. And he was the king of Judah. And God says, listen, I want to let you know something. Even though he was an evil king, God says, I want you to know something about the house of David. I want you to know something as he speaks now, this prophecy to the house of David. And he says, this this is not going to be overthrown. 
In fact, I'm going to show you something in the future that did happen and yet will be fulfilled in its entirety at the coming of the Messiah, that the the tribe of Judah, that the line of David, that the throne of David, that the scepter would never leave, that this king that will set on the seat of David forever and forever and forever, this is going to happen. It's going to take place. He says, you're not going to be overrun and overthrown. Let me show you why. Because the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, moving from there in Isaiah chapter 9, we find more about about this this Christ child. And the Jews are going to argue different things. Uh, Those that are in Judaism today, the rabbis argue in Isaiah chapter 7. They argue over the word virgin and so on and so forth. And there's lots of arguments that they have about these different things. But in Isaiah chapter 9, we read this in verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Now listen, there has been no other king who has sat on the throne of David forever. There's only one. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah, the Son of God. He's the only one. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Then you make your way to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 is an an amazing passage of Scripture. I'm going to read you just a few verses here, five verses from Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees by his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions to the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness and the sash around his waist. And then we know that incredible passage in Isaiah chapter 53 where it talks about he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our sins, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And the whole incredible passage there in Isaiah chapter 53, of course, is pointing to who? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this was all prophesied in the Old Testament about this coming king, this prince, this, this one who would bring salvation to the nation of Israel, to the people of the world. Incredible truth. And we're going to look at the question today, and this is very important as we approach this time of year with so many different alternative ideologies about Christmas. And, and I know there's a lot of innocent things that I, I guess not necessarily innocent, but things that we make Christmas out to be, especially as a society. But listen, if it's not about Christ, they've missed it by a country mile. It's all about Christ. And the real question we have before us as we look at this baby in the manger in Bethlehem, the question is, who is this baby? Who is this child? If he is not the son of God, the eternal son of God, he's nothing more than a mere man. That's all he is. He's flesh and bone. He's born of Adam. He is sinful. He is nothing more than common man. 
But if he is who the Old Testament prophesied he would be, and if he is who the New Testament says he is, then he is the eternal son of God. He is the Messiah. And he is the one who can bring hope and peace and salvation to the world. So who is the baby born in Bethlehem? Our answer to this question will have an effect on every single aspect of our life and our eternity. The answer to this question will affect the views of morality, our values, our workplaces, our marriages, our family, relationships, our worldview, our political views, our faith, our hope, our understanding of our purpose in life, the meaning and the value of this life, and even the way we view death. The question is vitally important, and on this question hinges everything. So answering this question deserves our time and our study and our understanding. Now listen, every major religion in the world has already, and we've talked about this in the past, they've already made the claim for who the baby in the manger was in Bethlehem. Many of them have their own view of who this is. For the Jews, he was simply just a teacher. He was a, he was a, a rabbi or a teacher. He, he performed miracles. He claimed to be the Messiah, but he was crucified by his by. He was crucified, had disciples, but was not the Christ who was to come. He was not the Messiah. As you read the Old Testament prophecies, as they point their way to the coming Lord, the Messiah who comes, it's amazing as, as a Christian now with the, with the eyes of what we see and we read in the New Testament, when I read the Old Testament, I, I can just say, that is Jesus Christ. That's who that is. But for those that have rejected Christ, the Jews that many of them have rejected Christ today, he still has not fulfilled what they said the Messiah would be. They're still waiting for this Messiah to come. And he is coming again, by the way, and he's returning one day. To the Muslims, this Jesus is to be revered now and respected. He was simply just a prophet, not the greatest of all prophets, for Muhammad surpassed him as the greatest prophet This Jesus they do not reject as being a true literal person in history, nor do the Jews, but that he was just a man, a prophet, if you will. He was a wise teacher who worked miracles. He ascended to heaven, they believe, and he will come again. Believe it or not, Muslims believe that Jesus will come again, but he was not the Christ, the son of the living God. He is not God in flesh. That's not who he is. He is not who the Bible says he is, according to the Muslim or to the Jew, Hindus, they believe Jesus was just a holy man. They do not deny the fact that in history that it proves that Jesus literally lived. They don't deny that. They just believe he was a holy man, a wise teacher. And um, of course, we know that uh, they've got millions of gods, really, literally, that God manifests himself in many, many ways. And he is just simply one of those ways. To a Buddhist, Jesus was an enlightened man and a wise teacher, but he was not the Messiah. He was not the Son of God. For the New Age, Jesus was a wise moral teacher. For the Mormon, Jesus created one of God's spirit children. That's all he was. He was created. Satan's no different. They're just created. Both of them were brothers. And go down the list of what all they believe, but it's, it's, it's just crazy. God himself was once a man and had flesh and bone. That's what they believe, that Jesus himself, he, he was created. He was not the incarnate son of God. He, that's not who he was. So John, the apostle, is going to help us out this morning as we, as we make our way there to the gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, let's flip over there and let's spend a little time there together as we find ourselves in John chapter 1. And we're going to look at this incarnation 
about what this is, what this really means. Before we do, I'd like to, to go to Galatians, though. As you're making your way there, just keep flipping through the New Testament. Come back a little bit further and go to Galatians, which is right before Ephesians, Galatians chapter 4. If you'll go there with me this morning, I want to just share a few things with you there in Galatians 4, 4 through 5 is where we're going to be. And then we'll go back to John. In Galatians 4, 4, it says this, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son. In other words, there was an exact, perfect, precise time for the coming of the Messiah. Exact. And when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. There is absolutely no way to bring redemption to man if we didn't have this God-man come and live a perfect life under the law of God, bearing our sins, making a way for us to be justified, receiving his righteousness, he receives our condemnation, he receives our penalty, he pays the price, and he does it all. That's the only way that salvation could be brought to mankind. Remember, John, the angel of the Lord told, told Joseph that he would save his people from their sins. That's what this Jesus Christ came to do. So when time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. That was the purpose in sending this Christ child, this, this, this child that came. God had his plan, and that plan was redemption, and that's the purpose of why he did that. So in the, in the first chapter here, if we get into John chapter 1, if you just go there with me, I'm going to look at this today together as we look at the word of God and see what God's word has to say about this. John chapter 1, we're going to read from the very, very beginning, and we're going to read uh, the first, um, we're going to read the first 14 verses. In the beginning the word was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He Who? The Word. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him. Through who? Through He. Who's He? The Word. Through the Word. Through Him. Through He. All things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him. Who? The Word. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. We know also about John's birth. You can read that through the Gospels as well, that his mom was barren, but yet she had a child. It was a miraculous conception. God used, of course, his father and mother to bring about that conception, but it was still nonetheless the miracle of God working. He brings along John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Behold, I give you good news of great joy, the the, uh, angel said to the shepherds. I give you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For today in the town or the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That's the light that was coming into the world. His name was Jesus. 
In verse 10, it says, he was in the world and through, and though the world was, excuse me, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The Jews did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word, who, He, who is He, who is the Word, the eternal Son of God, who is that? Jesus Christ. This Word, He became flesh. He became flesh and made His dwelling among us. John writes, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. What an incredible passage of scripture, unbelievable. This word, the Logos, the word of God, incredible. This, this, this word is Christ What we're seeing here is we're seeing the fact, if you read Genesis, you're going to find us, where God says, let us make man in our image. Let us. That's plural. That's not singular. Let us make man in our image. Let's do this. Who is he speaking of? He's speaking of God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one Godhead represented in three. And even at the very beginning, we see the Godhead. And here in John's gospel, as we look at this Emmanuel, this God with us, this incarnation, this incredible miracle of God, the fact that God comes and dwells among his own mankind creation. God who was separated out in time and space. Now this God, this amazing God who no one can fathom, no one can understand, no one knows the height or the depth or anything that God is able or capable of doing. We cannot even begin to understand who God is. This God, he comes now in the form of his son. He comes and takes upon flesh. This God comes and dwells among his creation. This is an incredible truth. You want to talk about what love is. Love is this, that God seeing his sinful fallen humanity, born in sin, living in sin, in bondage to sin. God says this is the plan of redemption all the way from Genesis chapter 3 where he sacrifices an animal and he clothes Adam and Eve. We see a sacrifice. The shedding of blood was to bring about the forgiveness of the sin of mankind. And all the way through the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the calling of the people to himself, the bringing them out of Egypt, everything that he did, the Passover, absolutely everything we see in the sacrificial system and we see in the synagogues and we see in the temple and everything we see there, we see it all pointing to who? The one who would come, his name is Messiah, Jesus Christ. Every aspect of it is pointing to the coming king of glory. Everyone. And here now, John is telling us this God out of his immense love for us, does something. God says, we're going to do something here. It's already been his plan from eternity past. It's never changed. We're on plan A. It's always been plan A. It's the redemption of mankind. This God, what an amazing God, what an amazing love. He is love. He comes and he leaves the glory of heaven and he comes and takes the place and puts upon flesh and comes and dwells among mankind. This Jesus 
is going to live a perfect life. He's never going to sin against the Father. He's always going to do the will of the Father. And he came to give his life for the sinful humanity. What an amazing love. It's incredible to think that this God that created the cosmos, think about this, came in the form of a baby. What can a baby do for himself? Nothing. This God wrapped himself in flesh and came as a baby. Incredible. In fact, it's so incredible, we, you can't even hardly conceive this, that that God that created the cosmos, and we can't even, this thing goes on for so far, and the galaxies go on forever, we can't even comprehend it in science. This God says, I'm coming to save humanity. And he comes in the form of this baby. Who was this child? In the beginning was the word. This child was with God before time ever began. He is eternal. He's eternal. The word was with God. The word was relational. How many of you know that we have a relationship now with God because of this child, this this birth of Christ? I have a relationship with the creator of the universe through his son. I am now brought into relationship with the father. What an incredible thing. He's a relational God. And through his son, look what we have. We now have a relationship with the father. It's amazing. The word was God. He is divine. He is fully God and he is fully man. Jesus was both fully God, fully man. Incredible. Through him, the word, all things were made. He is the creator of all things. That's who this baby is wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That's who this baby was in Bethlehem. That's who he was. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him, through whom also he made the universe, the Son did. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for the sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Is this not incredible? unbelievable. Jesus told his disciples, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I am in the Father and the Father's in me. And if we are in Christ, guess what? Christ is in us. What an incredible truth. What an amazing truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. What an amazing thing. Jesus is the eternal son of God, fully God, fully man. 2 John 1, 7 says, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh have gone out into the world, and any such person is a deceiver and is antichrist. 
They were many in John's day. They were Gnostics. Gnosticism was abounding in John's day. Gnosticism is the belief that the spirit is good, but flesh is matter, it's bad. That's what Gnostics believe. And that Jesus didn't come fleshly, he came only in spirit. It's a lie. Christ Jesus came in the flesh to condemn sin in sinful flesh. That's what he came to do. So who is the baby in Bethlehem? Who is this Christ child? As we said earlier, to the Jews, he was simply just a man. He was a moral teacher, so on and so forth. Christianity says this, that he was the eternal son of God. We can't both be right. Hinduism believes that God has incarnated himself millions of times. Christianity, God only incarnated or begot one, one son in the incarnation of Christ Jesus to never ever be repeated again. We cannot both be right. Islam says one One's change of making hev- chances of making heaven will be determined after one's deeds in life are weighed on the scales of Allah. If your good outweighs your bad, then you're in. Christianity teaches that the hearts of men are inherently evil and our righteousness is filthy rags to a holy God. And salvation is found only by grace through faith in the perfect, sinless, sacrificial Lamb of God, that being Christ Jesus, His Son, who died in our place for our sins so we could have everlasting life. The very Christ child who came, that born of a virgin, born of a woman under the law to redeem those under the law. Mormonism teaches that Jesus was created. Jesus was begot. He wasn't created. That he is a spiritual brother of Lucifer. No, he's not. Lucifer's nothing more than a created angel that's fallen. That God was once a man and was able to reach the status of godhood and that God has flesh and bones. No. Christianity teaches that Jesus Christ was the eternal Son of God. He is the Word. He created all things, always has been, always will be. We're not both right. See, as we come to this time of year, it's so easy for us to lose track and lose sight of the glory and the splendor of the baby in the clothes lying in a manger. We hear it over and over and over again. One of the greatest miracles of all miracles, where God takes upon flesh and dwells with humanity. What an incredible thing it is. Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. If anyone wants to come to the Father, he's the only way. There is no other way. It all began in eternity past, where God had already set his plan. As we come to this time of year, what an incredible truth that we have in the hearts of each of us who are in Christ Jesus, that knowing this Jesus, this Christ child, has completely changed every aspect of our life. So the real question we need to look at is, who is this baby in the manger, right? Who is he? He is no less than the eternal son of God. He is the Word. He is God. He is the creator of the universe. He is the Savior of the world. He is Christ the Lord. That's who He is. Do you know this Jesus?
Do you know Christ? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? I pray that if you do not know Jesus Christ today, that you'll understand your desperate need for him. And during this season, as we as Christians are celebrating this amazing miracle of God, where God took upon flesh and dwelt among men, what an opportunity is for you, Christian, to share the truth of what Christmas is all about. I'm afraid that Santa Claus has overshadowed the Christ child in many ways. As Christians, we get to hold on to this amazing truth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word today. I thank you, God, for the fact that you entered time and space in the person of your son, Christ. That you, God, left the glory of heaven. You took upon flesh, dwelt among humanity. That you walked and lived and talked and and gave your life as a ransom, Lord, for us. That is what Christmas is about. It is about the redemption of humanity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. And I pray that everyone listening today, whether by radio or listening through internet, Lord, whatever, those here today, God, that if there's anyone here that has never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, today, Lord, they would simply by faith believe, surrender their life to him, repent of their sin, and trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Thank you, God, for this amazing gift in Christ. We love you. We praise you.